Erev Tov, good evening. We are back to our uh, Expanding Horizon Shi'u. We're in the middle of our series, The Shattered Wall of Israel. So it's a series inside of a series. That's the way Jewish things normally work. And I wanted to make sure, as much as things are, are so hectic on this end, I wanted to make sure that Bezad Hashem, we would finish everything we finished before Pesach, so we can have some closure before the holiday and then continue with something fresh after the Chagim. So Bezat Hashem, uh, we will be continuing on a topic that we t- began last week. So last week we began this conversation surrounding the Sanhedrin controversy of the 1500s. Essentially the wars between Mahari Berav and Maral Bach, Rabbi Levi bin Khabib of Yerushalayim and the desire to found the Sanhedrin post the Spanish expulsion. We tried to understand that story in different lights, and I asked last week who would be interested in exploring other attempts to revive a Sanhedrin. And the truth is, that in researching this topic, there are too many attempts to start a Sanhedrin for me to actually give you a, a shiur or two about, and therefore I've decided to zoom in on two and a half attempts that are very dear to my heart, things that I've connected to, writings that I have in front of me, personalities that are mentioned otherwise in the Shiviti Ben So the whole purpose of this expanding horizon Shi'u is not just to learn Torah together, but to expose ourselves to the role models and leaders that make up what we believe here at Shiviti. And I think there's no greater opportunity than utilizing this conversation on the Sanhedrin to introduce you to two of my favorite Torah personalities in the world. This shiul today is dedicated to my uncle, Yitzchak Daniel Zev, who passed away this last Friday night. And we had a levaya on Sunday, and we're now in the middle of the shiva. And I asked if all of you could learn and study and pray on his behalf, I would very much appreciate that. And this shiul was very much connected to him. My uncle, Daniel Schwartz, his last name, Schwartz, married my mother's sister, who's a biton from home. And as much as he was a Schwartz and his father was a Holocaust survivor, my uncle always said that he was an American in his body with a Moroccan heart. He always connected to the Torah of the Sephardim, to Chachmei Sephardim. And it's not unusual to come to my Bera Knesset. All of those who read the Torah, most of those who lead the services are all his children. And they all, with the last name Schwartz, read the Torah here better than any Sephardi you've ever heard in your life because they are Sephardim, as we defined that term so long ago, that it belongs to those who affiliate with a certain ideology and philosophy in Judaism. There's not an ethnicity, I believe very strongly. That's why you don't see me use the word much Sephardi. We're not a, a Sephardic Shiviti or an Ashkenazi Shiviti. We don't have a Sephardic or Ashkenazi Betadin or Betaklizit. We are Jews and the particular persuasion of those who identify with the teachings of Chachmei Sephardim. And there's a personality in today's shiul that is going to directly connect into that philosophy. And we'll do that together right now. But before we get to him, let's start with a different Chacham. Has anyone ever heard of the book Nahar Mitzrayim or the Chacham Rabbi Rafael Aharon Ben Shimon? And for those of you who have your cameras on, I so appreciate it. For those who don't, I would love to see you. Oh, Shalom <laughs> Yes. I no, please, everybody turn yours on, off, whatever. Everybody knows the situation you're in. We don't get offended if you eat, but if you don't want to show us eating, we totally understand. Rabbi Rafael Aharon ben Shimon. 
Has anyone heard of him? Mord, was that you raising your hand to say hello or because you know who Rabbi Ophelia Omet Shimon was? Oh, very good. Anything you could tell us about him? No. From now on, I'm going to do this. Every show we're going to begin with an introduction from Mord. And Chacham uh, Mord is going to come here. He's going to give an introduction and then we'll continue with the show. Uh, Rabbi Raphael Aaron ben Shimon is the son of a famous Moroccan Chacham by the name of Rabbi David ben Shimon. Rabbi David ben Shimon, otherwise known by his acronym of his name, David ben Shimon, Dvash, Honey. His books were called Tzuf Dvash, and therefore his synagogue in the old city of Jerusalem, it's still there today. I used to pray there very often on Shabbatot. It's called the Tzuf Devash Synagogue. It's one of the few Moroccan synagogues you can find, perhaps the only in the old city of Jerusalem. If you're looking for a Sephardic experience, you'll find that all over Yerushalayim. But if you're looking for a Sephardic experience for those who grew up in the Moroccan community, that's very difficult to find in Yerushalayim. And so that was uh, my, my go-to Beta Knesset in the old city. Rabbi Rafael Aaron ben Shimon is the son of Rabbi David ben Shimon. And the history goes as follows. He was born in 1848 in Rabat in Morocco. His father came to Israel to be the rabbi of Adat HaMa'aravim. So the Ma'aravim are the... It's interesting, because I know in the United Kingdom, you use the term Westerners to mean something else. Uh, but everybody, I guess, wants to be a Western. There's a competition who can be more West than everybody else. Uh, but let's take it for now that this Chacham, Rabbi Rafael Aaron ben Shimon, was the rabbi of the Westerners that normally refers to the Jews of North Africa, namely Morocco, who are in Yerushalayim. And as we've studied in the past, the reason that it's important for Jews living in Jerusalem, pre the state of Israel, to identify with a certain group, am I Ashkenazi, am I Sephardic, am I Yemenite, am I Iraqi, am I from Hungary, am I from Poland, it's crucial because Paranasah, livelihood is at an all-time low in Eretz Israel. And in order to receive the tzedakah funds that come into Israel from the Gola, from the diaspora, one has to belong to one of these groups in order to receive funding. Unfortunately, much of the Israeli mentality stayed the same even when that model is no longer necessary. Uh, we don't have to identify anymore as, as Yemenites or Polish or Hungarian or uh, Sephardic or Ashkenazi. Uh, maybe people are still looking for handouts, though. That could definitely be the case, especially with the way Israel's political system is built and the way yeshivot are dependent on particular political parties in order to receive their funding. That could be part of the problem. Rabbi Rafael Aaron ben Shimon is one of the most fascinating Sephardic Chachamim, uh, Professor Tzvi Zohar, who many of you have merited to hear before, has written and spoken about him extensively as one of the prime models of a Sephardic Chacham who was able to adapt to modernity. At a certain point in his life, he sent to Morocco as a Shaddar. Do you guys remember what the term Shaddar is? I mentioned it before. Shaliach de Rabbanan. He's a tzedakah collector. But not like the guy who comes knocking on your door wherever you live now asking for a few dollars for some kodal you never heard of in, in wherever they tell you it's from. A shadar is a tamichacham. It could be the status of a rosh hashiva, a dayan, a posek, a big tamichacham. Who is sent, let's give you for an example. So here, by the Moroccan community of Jerusalem to Morocco. And he's planning to spend three years, four years, five years in Morocco, meeting people, teaching Torah, studying with people, praying in synagogues, familiarizing himself with the community. And in that way, building a relationship between this particular community in Israel with this broader community outside of Israel, and then beginning to channel funds to Eretz Israel from those communities. This is, by the way, was how books and teachings and Torah begin to be spread through different communities. That's why you find the Chida, Rabbi Chaim Yosef David Azulai, traveling around Europe so much. What is a Sephardic rabbi doing in Europe? Because that's part of what these Chachamim were doing. Uh, this led to other instances. So, for example, we have a Shi'u 
on YouTube about halachic colonialism. When Sephardic rabbis begin to enter Yemen, fundraising for their yeshivot there, you find a, a, almost a militant attempt to suppress Yemenite tradition in favor of what the Yemenites would call the Torah coming out of Tzfat at that time. That would include Maran Rabbi Yosef Kairo Shulchan Aruch and uh, the Kabbalistic works of the Arizal and everything else that come from there. Sof Davar Akon Nishma, Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon returns to Israel. At a certain point in time, he continues to Egypt where he becomes the Chacham Bashi, the chief rabbi of, of Cairo. Uh, for at least the Sephardic community. Now, it's a misnomer to say that he was the chief Sephardic rabbi of Cairo because there was only one chief rabbi of the city of Cairo, and that was of uh, Sephardim. All the Jews in Cairo were under his rule. So they had to follow the rulings. They were under the jurisdiction of the Sephardic Chacham of Cairo. I don't actually know, and I would love for someone to research this for me, I don't actually know if the Karaim were also subject to the rabbinic Chachamim or not, that I don't know the answer to. But I can tell you that definitely the Sephardic and Ashkenazi communities of Cairo were all under the umbrella of Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon. Tell me why on earth there would be Ashkenazim in Cairo. Very good. Jews go where the money is. And at this point in time, Europe is getting very involved in Egypt. And uh, the, the Jews come along with that. By the way, there's a special place in Poland called Zamosh. Zamosh is a fascinating, I was there. I, was, I went to do the, the trip to the different uh, concentration camps with my Talmudim in Israel. So I was in the town of Zamosh. And people said, what are you going to go find in, in Poland? And I said, I'm looking for my Sephardic roots in Poland. And I was, it was like a joke. I'm going to find my Sephardic roots in Poland. I find myself in Zamosh, Poland. Standing in front of a Beda Knesset, and the plaque in the Beda Knesset reads, The Sephardic Beda Knesset of Zamosh. I said, What are Sephardim doing in Zamosh? I asked the tour guide, it's very simple. He said, There was a time in our history in which only Sephardim were allowed into Zamosh. No Ashkenazi Jews were allowed in the city in Poland. Because the Sephardim had business connections with other Sephardic countries, namely the Ottoman Empire. And this particular duke, I think it was a duke, who ruled over this area, he didn't want Ashkenazi Jews who had no connections to live here. If he was going to have to suffer dealing with Jews, he only wanted Jews that would be able to bring him a sufficient amount of money and trade and business to his city. And so here you have a Sephardic community in Poland. This Sephardic community made its way from Spain to Portugal, to the Ottoman Empire, down to Egypt, and then came back to Poland for business opportunities. And that's where that community founded. You are actually familiar with one of the most famous descendants of that community. Have you heard of the Yiddish author, Yud Lamed Peretz? There's a famous Yiddish author. I think his official name is Peresovsky. But yeah, so Yud Lamed Peretz, the most famous Yiddish author, is none other than a Sephardic Jew who's part of the Zamosh community. But after being in Poland long enough, I guess instead of being a, a Spanish or an Arabic author, you become a Yiddish author. And that's exactly who that Yud Lamed Peretz was. I don't know how cultural appropriation works in these type of scenarios. But in any case, he was one of the big, the big Yiddish poets. And I don't think that most people know that he was actually, at least ethnically, a Sephardim. Rabbi Rafael ben Shimon <coughs> spends time in Egypt, most of his life in Egypt. At the end of his life, he returns back to Eretz Israel. And I told you he was born in 1848. He dies in Tel Aviv. He spends the last eight years of his life in Tel Aviv in 1928, uh, where he's buried. And actually, he could be buried in Yerushalayim. I don't actually know, let me tell you. He's buried in Harazaytim, in the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon leaves behind a wealth of rabbinic literature, much of which has been published. There's a beautiful printing press that's based out of New York called uh, Tuv Mitzrayim, The Goodness of Egypt. 
And they've done a, ter- a terrific work at printing a number of Egyptian chachamim and their works. And even though you could argue how Egyptian Rabbi Raphael Aaron ben Shimon was, but this particular book, Nahar Mitzrayim, The River of Egypt, is essentially where he codifies and explains many of the Egyptian Jewish practices and minagim, what his bedin decreed, other existing customs there, relationships, halachic relationships between the Karaim and the Jews in terms of kashrut, in terms of marriage, many very interesting things that you can pick up from the book Nahar Mitzrayim. If you're familiar, in the beginning of COVID, there was some controversy surrounding what could be considered kasher for a mikveh. Can water from the tap be considered kasher for a mikveh? One of the main sources that people utilize in that conversation is the book, are the books of Rabbi Raphael Aaron ben Shimon, who had much to say about that topic. Rabbi Raphael Aaron ben Shimon perhaps is to Egyptian Jewry what Rabbi Shem Tov Gagin is to Spanish Portuguese Jewry. He is the codifier of Egyptian minhagim, how the Batedin worked, what, what takanot were decreed, when, why, the history behind those things. A, a special chacham. When you read his words, you can tell that he's the son of Dvash, he's the son of Hani. It's a very sweet read, it's a very sweet personality. Except for when he wasn't sweet. You know, there were times where people crossed Rabbi Rafael on Benjamin, and he was not afraid to use his rabbinic might to crush whatever he perceived to be a threat to the Jewish community of Egypt. And there is a more, a more strict side of Rabbi Rafael on Benjamin, but we're not giving a shiur today about Rabbi Rafael on Benjamin, rather about the Sanhedrin, which was attempted to be reconvened in his generation. That brings me to another Chacham. A Chacham who's equally as impressive, I have to tell you. But the relationship between the two of them, for me, is an example of what the Jewish community at its ideal could look like. There's a famous Chacham, and interestingly enough, I'll consider him a Sephardic Chacham, though he wasn't a Sephardic Chacham, and I'll explain to you in just a moment why. His name is Rabbi Aaron Menachem Mendel HaKohen. Uh, Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen is most definitely an Ashkenazi rabbi, born in Tveria to a family seemingly of Russian Jews. He studies Torah at the feet of the rabbis of Tveria, most notably. His rabbi was Chacham Chaim Shmuel HaKohen Konoti. He was the chief rabbi of the city of Tveria. He was born in 1866. In the year 1887, Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen is invited by what's becoming a sizable population of Ashkenazi Jews in Egypt to be the rabbi of the Ashkenazi community in Egypt. Just to verify these details, I have a person in my kina, he's a very elderly man, should live and be well, uh, who, who's from Egypt, from Cairo. Uh, his name is Marco Sofer, Mordechai ben I was with him recently, and I asked him about the Ashkenazi community, the Karaim community, the Saradi community, he told me about the glory of the Sephardi community. So the Karaim, they had their own little neighborhood over there, they said in the, the Ashkenazim, they had a Berakneset behind some building, they had a, but there were definitely Ashkenazim there, and they, we had an Ashkenazi community. He was very proud that there was an Ashkenazi community in Egypt. Rabbi Rafael Aaron, uh, Rabbi Aaron Mendel Cohen was the chief rabbi of the Ashkenazim in Cairo. Now, when he comes to Cairo, it's important to know that there is no position, there is no office of Ashkenazi chief rabbi. And maybe a little bit of history before I photocopied some papers for you uh, from the book in Har Mitzayim. At the end of the book in Har Mitzayim, they did a tr- very good job at adding an introduction there. Right before Rabbi Aaron Mendel Cohen comes to Egypt, already there is some talk in the Ashkenazi community of perhaps gaining independence. 
At this point in time, the Sephardim and the Ashkenazim, the Sephardim ultimately rule over the community. The Ashkenazim want some independence in terms of shechita. They want some independence perhaps in having a cemetery, independence in having their own bit uh, of to preserve their own customs. Uh, in 1893, there was a Romanian doctor who came through Egypt claiming to be a rabbi, and he also claimed to be this divine messenger to help these Ashkenazi Jews in Cairo not assimilate into the bad Sephardic culture that they're surrounded with. And he comes as this messenger from God to save the Ashkenazi Jewish community. And a number of individuals, not all of them, because the Ashkenazi community was very happy with the leadership of Rabbi Rafael Ahon Ben Shimon, who really loved them and cared for them and did everything he could to preserve Minhage Ashkenaz in his community. But this troublemaker came through, he made a huge commotion, they demanded from the Sephardim their own cemetery, and Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon said, take it, I want you to be happy here. Have your own cemetery, have your own bitka, whatever you need, tell me, I will take care of it. At a certain point in time, everyone realized that this Romanian doctor was making too much trouble, and he got into some problematic issues over there, and ended up leaving, ended up leaving Egypt. At that point in time, Rabbi Rafael Aaron, I'm very confused by names, Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon, he realized that there was a need for an Ashkenazi spiritual leader in Egypt. And he reaches out to a Talmud Chacham who he has heard of before, and that is none other than Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen. He says, please come down to Egypt and be the chief rabbi of the Ashkenazi community in Egypt. And this relationship between these two Chachamim was so beautiful. Their writings are full of conversations between each other, of total respect. Rabbi Rafael Aaron Mechimon is 20 years the senior of Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen. But they treat each other like colleagues, like dear friends. They truly loved each other. You just see it in the way they write each other, the way they speak to each other, with with kavod, with care. You're going to see soon in a letter that we're going to read together. What happens at the end of the day is after 30 years of Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen serving the Ashkenazi community faithfully, there begins a mini coup in the Ashkenazi community. The new generation of Ashkenazi Jews in Cairo don't like that Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen doesn't speak German, a refined German, well enough. And they need a rabbi who can make them feel proud of their European heritage and how refined the Ashkenazi Jewish community is. And they begin to make Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen's life miserable. They end up bringing a young rabbi into Egypt from Europe who comes in. Tamir Chacham, he was not an eloquent German speaker, though he was. And he could give derashot, powerful derashot. And very quickly, as is the case with most of the Jewish communities you're familiar with, being a Tamir Chacham doesn't mean much. If you don't know how to speak properly, you don't have charisma, and you don't know how to use the right words and the right topics and the right amount of controversy and pulling, then nobody really wants to hear from you. And there are tremendous Tamir Chachamim that are replaced by people far inferior to them because they were able to outdo them in terms of charisma and eloquence. And Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen is ultimately fired by the Ashkenazi chief rabbi. We don't want you anymore as our Chacham. Please stop representing us as the Ashkenazi chief rabbi. This matter comes in front of Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon Kohen, who realizes that his friend is not just losing his job, but soon he won't be able to afford living in Egypt. He doesn't have money. He cannot feed his children. He cannot take care of his family. Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon says, I'm looking for a third Dayan on my Betadin. Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen, will you be willing to be the first Ashkenazi Dayan in the Sephardic Betadin of Cairo? And that's what happens. Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen is given a lifeline by Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon to join his Betadin. And Mamash, until almost the end of his life, he sits there on the Betadin of Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon. I have hundreds of letters 
Tens and tens and tens of letters. Where the Bedin assigned, Rabbi Rafael Ahmed Shimona Kohen and Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen. Those are signed together. Ashkenazi is Sephardic rabbis signing on the same takanot and the same decrees altogether. And what ends up happening is that Rabbi Haron Mendel HaKohen's dignity is restored. He's considered the spiritual leader, the posek, if you'll have it, of Ashkenazi Jewry in Cairo, while this younger rabbi kind of took over the pulpit and dealt with the more day-to-day matters of the community. And as such, Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon uh, ended up saving the day like he did in many other places. Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon, HaKohen, uh, Shimon was an adamant lover of peace. He loved peace. Anytime that Chachamim would get together, Jews would get together, groups of Jews would get together, he was the first one to sign up. Unless he felt that by signing up for something peaceful, ultimately something negative would take place. And this is the background for this episode of the Sanhedrin that is intended to be uh, started in this generation. At the beginning, Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon may be excited, but quickly he realizes that there will be more problems in having a Sanhedrin than in not having a Sanhedrin. That's exactly the letter that I wish to study with you today. So if you have the PDF that I sent you, of Naharmi time, uh, no, there's no English page numbers. The top of the page should say, Taf Kuf Tzadi Gimel. It should, I mean, the last letter should be Gimel on the page. Do you see where I'm at? It's one of the PDFs that I attached to the Zoom invitation in the Google Classroom. And you'll see it's page Taf Kuf Tzadi Gimel. Page, page six. Page six in the PDF. Thank you, Mort. Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen wrote many books in his lifetime. But perhaps his most famous book was called the book Simichat Chachamim. He publishes this book in the year 1911. And he calls upon his colleagues, the rabbis of the Jewish people across the world, to reconvene in Yerushalayim, to create a Bedin Hagadol, a supreme national court, to reconvene the Sanhedrin and to solve all the issues that are facing the Jewish people in this time. He's successful. At the highlight of his career, Rabbi Aharon Mendel HaKohen manages to get together 500 Talmidei Chachamim, Ashkenazi and Sephardic alike, to meet together for a rabbinic conference in Europe. The speaker at this conference I have all my notes here. In 1903, with 500 Chachamim, they get together in the city of Krakow in Poland. And the main speaker there is Chacham Eliyahu Bechol Chazan. If you're familiar with him, he is the chief rabbi of Alexandria. And he is the keynote speaker at this Kenneth Rabbanim. From 1903, all Rabbi can talk about is, let's reconvene a Sanhedrin. We have 500 rabbis talking to each other, agreeing with each other, discussing things with each other. Let's make a Sanhedrin. Let's make a Sanhedrin over and over and over. This is what he dreams about. He writes about. He puts out a number of kuntresim about this. He even purchases land. And near where is Beta Kerem in Jerusalem, if you're familiar with that area, he purchases land over there to build not just housing for the rabbis who would be members of the Sanhedrin, but also to build a, a physical building in which the Sanhedrin could, could convene and decide on halachic uh, matters in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. This letter I don't have a date for. Actually, I do have a date for it. Tafresh Ein Aleph. Can someone do the math for me? On your own, uh, what is Tafresh Ayn Aleph? 
This letter is from Rabbi Rafael Aaron ben Shimon to Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen regarding the matter of the Sanhedrin, which Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen is trying to invite Rabbi Rafael Aaron ben Shimon to join on. So this is the letter from the Sephardic chief rabbi to his Ashkenazi counterpart. This letter is very telling, and I think it has a lot to do with any conversation we'll have about uniting rabbis together in our generation. We'll bump into many of these similar problems. Anyone have a chance to look up Tafresh Ayin Aleph? Okay, we'll figure it out when we get there. Whoever does, please just unmute yourself and let me know. It's where the bottom of page 1910. 1910, that fits, okay. 1910, 1911. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So 1910, 1911, this letter comes from Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon, the Sephardic rabbi, to his Ashkenazi colleague who's trying to start a Sanhedrin. Many blessings to my dear friend. The famous rabbi, my dear friend, Aaron Mendel HaKohen Baran, may Hashem make his life long. I received with love your proclamation regarding the matter of the Sanhedrin. You asked me, to please look at the Kol Koreh and to give my stamp of approval on this idea of a Sanhedrin. These expressions are so beautiful, but they cannot properly be translated. The, the, beloved, uh, the beloved of my right eye, meaning my, the apple of my eye. This is what he's calling. We've discussed this matter. On the top of the next page, Tafkuf Tzadidan, page seven. When you started talking to me about this amazing idea, which was already running in your mind, to restore the ordination of rabbis and dayanim and the Jewish people. He said, as we already are familiar with the painful history of the war between the rabbis of Yerushalayim and Tzfat, which we discussed last week in the 1500s. And that plan of refounding a Sanhedrin was not successful. He said, and you, my dear rabbi, have decided that the problems that were in the way, they were in opposition at the time, those opposing issues no longer exist in our generation. And I was honest, I was transparent with the feelings in my heart to you. Because in my opinion, that the, those things which are holding back the matter of Semicha in our generation, they are, this is an expression, they're, they're tremendous. We have huge obstacles to get over if we wish to restore Semichat Chachamim in our generation. And the, matter, the barriers which stood in the way of our predecessors and previous generations, they pale in comparison to the obstacles we will have to get over to restore Semichat Chachamim in our generation. So the only difference between the generation that tried to restore Semicha in the 1500s and your generation of trying to restore Semicha, listen to the sentence because it's full of Sephardic sarcasm and it is gold. 
The only difference between that generation and this one, ki bedorot lifnim, because in the previous generation, hayta hamenia mesibot teliot birat shamayim. That the reason, the barrier to building a Sanhedrin was motivated from an abundance of Yirat Shamayim. There was too much Yirat Shamayim. And that's what stopped the previous generation from founding a Sanhedrin. And the reasons that will stop us from founding a Sanhedrin in this generation, are because of a, a, a deficiency in Yirat Shamayim. So if the previous generation was unable to found the Sanhedrin because of an abundance of fear of heaven, our generation, unfortunately, has such a deficiency that I'm not certain that we'll ever be able to execute this. He says, and you're writing to me now, but I've never changed my mind since then, including now after I've read your letter. And even though you've been begging me so much for this, now you're forcing me to write down in handwriting. You are forcing me to write down what I only wish to remain oral. And if this is something that you desire, and it's something that I don't desire, if you wish for me to write down and spell out for you the reasons I don't think we should have a Sanhedrin, he says, then your respect overcomes mine and I'll, I'll give in to you. I, I think we have to just for a moment stop and say, 1910. 1910, you're talking about Dayanim that are 20 years apart from each other. If anything, Rabbi Rafael Aaron ben Shimon is the senior rabbi, not just in age, but also in authority. He essentially is the future employer, if not already, of Rabbi Aaron ben Kohen. And he says, but your request means that I will put aside what I want and do for you what you're asking for me to do. Shema'eni Adoni, listen to me, my master. You know, I, I told someone recently that when Talmidei Chamim fight with each other, okay, it happens, the world is what the world is. They lose very little when they fight with each other. Anyways, they fight with each other. But who loses? It's like when people get divorced, in a, in a bitter divorce. Sometimes it's necessary to get divorced. But the people who lose the most are the children in the middle. The ones who are caught in the middle. The mudslinging, maybe they're having fun, but the children who are in the middle are getting hurt from the mudslinging. When Talmud Chaimim fight, Am Yisrael gets hurt. The Jews who are observing, they get hurt. Their trust in Talmud Chaimim, it decreases. When you see Tamil Chamim respecting each other, it restores a little bit of faith. Maybe our rabbis are decent people. Maybe those leaders of ours are actually good people. I know it sounds so uh, terrible to say, but it's heartwarming. Not to mention Ashkenazi rabbis and Sephardic rabbis dialoguing with each other in disagreement, but with so much respect. Regarding the, the matter itself. And I cannot deny that this matter is holy and lofty. Essentially, the purpose of our faith is intertwined with the goal to restore its Sanhedrin. And rebuilding the shattered walls of the Jewish people, this could fill up those breaks and breaches in the wall. It would be a glory of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. Would return such glory and splendor to the dignity of our Torah. You don't need any uh, approvals or testimonies about the fact that in principle, restoring a Sanhedrin, reconvening a Sanhedrin, bringing back Semichat Chachamim is the most lofty thing we can accomplish. But I already told you with an open mouth. That this is almost a superhuman endeavor. That's how important it is. 
ואם אדוני יעזרהו להוציא מחשבתו לפועל, הקדוש ברוך הוא will assist you to execute your plans, וכבוד רבנינו וגאוננו מאורנו שבתפוצות הגולה ייתנו יד אחד לכונן את רעיון הסמיכה על בסיס חזק ונכון, and the other rabbis of the exile, the Jewish people, will all agree with you and put in their hands and help you properly, in a just way, in a correct way, found the Sanhedrin again, וככל אשר ערך לבניהם בקול קורא הנוכחי, אז אומרה לנפשי כי כבר אנחנו עומדים בדור גאולה. And of all of the rabbis that you've reached out to are going to stamp on to this call קורא that you send me, this proclamation that you send me, he said, then I'll already tell you that we must be in the generation of redemption if you can get all the chachamim. או כי נושענו כבר. If you can get all the rabbis to agree on your proclamation, I will tell you either that the redemption is about to come or that the redemption has already happened. If not in uh, actual physical redemption, at least a spiritual redemption. If you can get all the rabbis in the world to agree to join us on Edrin, you have done something that even Melech HaMashiach possibly will never be able to do. Which of us does not know? That the reason why the Jewish state of affairs is so grim today is because of a lack of bold and brazen leaders. People of heart, are truly God-fearing. Those who lead the community lack the leadership skills to lead the Jewish people forward. אשר בידם שבט העירה ושבט שמירת מצוות התורה אשר ציווה אדוני את משה. They are the ones that hold the rod to compel the Jewish people to follow in the ways of Hashem as understood by משה. לדאבון לבבנו, unfortunately, במקום רבים ועיירות ומדינות שונות, in many places, many countries, in many cities, מאשרי העם, מטעיו. Those people who lead them, those who lead the people, are usually the same leaders who mislead the people. So what you call leaders, רבי רפאל אהרון בן שמעון says, I call them misleaders. והמצר לדת ישראל כשנעשה ראש. And those who stand up to oppose the truth of our Torah as leaders, they become the head. ינהיג את האונייה המסורה בידו הנהגה לפי רוחו הוא, לא לפי רוח הדת. We have a whole world of rabbis who steer the Jewish people not the way the Torah wants them to be steered, but toward whatever direction the captain wants to steer the Jewish people. Sometimes it's not the rabbi maliciously misleading the Jewish community. Sometimes the leaders know so very little about Judaism that they don't actually know which direction to lead the people in. Or sometimes, you have rabbis, and they know, and they know what the right path is, but they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with the pressure of having to actually be a true leader. And so they, they just get through the motions. And sometimes it's even worse because we have rabbis that have been raised with a certain type of freedom in their youth. It's not enough that some of these rabbis in their own personal lives are chotim, are, are bad people. Even in their public life, they lead people on a path of corruption. And because of this, the breaches in our faith increase every day. Says until we reach a place where maybe the whole wall of the Jewish people will crumble. And that's why I told you, Rabbi Aaron Mendez Akohen, if your plan to reconvene a Sanhedrin actually happens, 
אשר על ידו יתוקנו כל המרושקים האלה, and you will be the one who can solve all of these problems on the Jewish people, הוא מחזיר the top of page 8, and you return עטרת הדת לאיתנה, you'll return the crown of our faith to its original splendor, בקול אדיר וחזק יאמר את זה. I said, I will tell you, I agree, כי הנה אנחנו בדור מחוקקינו, we are now in the generation of our original leaders, או לכל הפחות בדור תנאי וגאוני תלמודינו, האם אין זאת? He said, if you will be successful in reconvening a Sanhedrin, getting all the rabbis to agree with you, and using that authority to fill all the breaches, the gaps in the walls of the Jewish people, is then I'll tell you that we most likely are living in a generation that's the generation of the rabbis of our Talmud. V'ulam, he said, but I have to be honest. Libi besafek im nagiyal hamatara. My heart has doubts as to whether we will ever really reach that goal, realistically. Will we ever be able to reconvene a Sanhedrin that will do all of these things? To actually execute this lofty ideal seems so distant in the eyes of my, my small mind. If we're talking about, and when he says Charedim here, he doesn't mean Charedim what you mean. This, if we're talking about our leaders, our rabbis, the God-fearing ones, he said, and how much more so that we're going to face obstacles not just with the old guard, with the rabbis who are loyal to our faith, but to the new generation of young rabbis, who are products of the education of our times. It could be a play on words with haskala in general with the enlightenment movement that's going on in Europe, as you'll see soon. That in two or three years of very light study in a seminary for rabbis, is that they come out of a two or three year semicha program with certificates, the rabbi, the genius, the leader of the generation, or doctor, sometimes even a doctor of theology. He said, and these rabbis that graduate two or three years, uh, a yeshiva, a seminary, rabbinic school, they come out and these people lead the Jewish community. He said, these are words that I would have rather not written down on paper. Somebody reached out to me now the beginning, a year ago, in the beginning of COVID. Now that the whole world is shut down, we have shiurim on Zoom. What, what do you think about having a shiviti smicha program online? I tell you, in general, I'm not in the Semicha field. That's not where I'm at. But it's something possible. I would love to learn Shukhan Aruch. Anybody wants to learn Shukhan Aruch with me? But I say, you know, Hashem. But Pam, you're going to give me trouble. What am I going to write in the certificate? Pam or Moshe Chaim? <laughs> so, this, the truth is that it's a great idea. But we live in a world where people who, who didn't and I'm, right now, I'm not chas v'shalom denigrating anybody. And there's nobody in the world that I'm speaking ill about. But you live in a reality where there are people who don't, never, never knew how to learn Torah. They never went to proper yeshivot to receive an education. But at a certain point in their life, they pop into some 10-month, 11-month, 12-month, two-year smicha program. They get some kind of certificate. I'm talking right now, even in the very uh, orthodox communities that you might be familiar with, it's a, it's a piece of paper, it's a license to go out and do whatever people do, make a panasa, whatever they do with that semicha. Uh, and ultimately, the becoming of a rabbi almost means that you're not a tamil chacham. Because tamil chamim, they don't need the credentials. 
But the rabbis who don't have the they need the credentials. It's almost an upside down world that we live in right now. And it's a very hard thing to find rabbis is very easy. To find Talmudic Chamim is very difficult. It's very difficult. Just because someone graduated school two or three years after studying, someone has a degree and they, they never continue their education. They don't sit in the Bet Midrash. They don't buy new books. They don't learn new things. So then how, do they, how are they going to be Talmudic Chamim? Rabbi is having a struggle with this, with this uh, reality. I really don't want to explain, elaborate on this more. My master knows. Who calls a Tamich Acham 20 years younger than him? Adoni, my master. The Dech Eretz here should inspire us. He said one of the main goals of having a Sanhedrin would be to stop any rabbis who should not be rabbis from actually taking over positions of leadership. That from elementary school, they take them out to go be kings. Meaning, we're trying through a Sanhedrin to bring real rabbis, real chachamim back to the communities. And that would be one of the primary objectives of a Sanhedrin, to determine for us who is really a Tamil Chacham, who's a Musmach, and who is not. He said, where did any of these rabbis who go to rabbinical school study the laws of marriage, of, of, of forbidden relations, of gitin, of kiddushin, the laws of chalitza, ushchitot, ubdikot, and slaughter, and checking the animals, and the knives, utrefot, v'dinei isur v'heter v'domehen, and all the laws of kashrut. Asher b'chol ele, mele'im yidei harabanim, avot b'tay din v'dayinim, mumchim asher b'chol harim, shomrei dat v'din yom yom. He said the rabbis, the senior rabbis who were sitting in their jobs before this new generation of rabbis came in, that's what they did. They knew halachot. They knew all of the different halachot they would need to know to be asked about. They were real tamidei chamim. Do you know what it takes to become a rabbi today? By the way, the whole conversation, I have a shiul somewhere. I don't want to get myself in trouble in the United Kingdom. The whole conversation, whether women can be rabbis or not, really, it's a, this conversation is so far away from my heart. You, you were in my shiur for Rebani Farchat Sazun. You should reach whatever conclusions you would reach from that. But in the very technical sense, what does it mean to be a rabbi? So you're a high school graduate. You go to yeshiva for a year. You sign up for a 10-month smicha program in which you study, I don't know, the laws of how to salt a, a chicken and then what happens if you put a piece of meat in a dairy pot and then they do a little bit more of uh, maybe some ta'uvot like what happens if some pig falls on the meat in the dairy pot and then that after 10 months most yeshivot 18 months they get a certificate yore yore maybe even yadin yadin uh, this one is a tamich for the rest of the world and everybody else that he knows is beneath him because he's a tamich and nobody else is there could be people who've been learning Torah their whole life they finished Shas, they finished Rambam, they finished Shulchan Aruch, but, but they didn't get a certificate about the laws of salting chicken in dairy pots with, with, I don't know, pig drops that fall on the lid of the pot. And so they are not rabbis in some strange reality. It's a very weird world that we live in. The, the people who are becoming rabbis, of course, when you ask them questions. I think I froze. Are you? Can you hear me? Yeah? Okay. Perfect. So the, of course, the people say, I go to the rabbi, I ask him questions about the, the afterlife, I ask questions about emunah and Hashem, the rabbi doesn't have any answers. Of course he doesn't have any answers. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to ask questions about the afterlife or Mashiach to, to lack answers. 
Just ask him a question about the laws of washing your hands for bread and the rabbi won't have any answers. Because they didn't learn those things when he went through his smicha program. So he doesn't know how to wash his hands for bread, then it shouldn't surprise you that of course in uh, more lofty questions that are in the Jewish faith, of course he doesn't have an answer. These new rabbis who never even heard of these halachot. Where shall these rabbis tend their flock? With what shall they be out there in the pasture with their, with their communities? How can they rule for their people? They don't even know what Judaism requires from them because they never inquired as to what Judaism requires from them. And they receive money for their rabbinate and their money is It's a halachic term. You can't get paid for teaching Torah. So what do rabbis who take money for teaching Torah? Baruch Hashem. I've never in my life had to take money for teaching Torah. Never in my life. Baruch Hashem. And this, so what does it mean? How does a person get a sachar batala? You can't pay me for teaching Torah, but you can pay me you can pay me for not working, meaning I would, if it wasn't teaching you Torah, I would have to work, or I'm taking care of your kids in the day school, I'm a babysitter, you pay a babysitter, no, you're not paying me for the Torah, you're paying me for the batala, for my doing nothing and being here teaching you. So they get paid for doing nothing. That's a, again a sarcastic pun on Rabbi Arifal They just give speeches and they get rewards. That's their whole job, is to give nice sermons. This breach in the wall of Israel. We could attempt to fill in this breach with this lofty idea of smicha. Could we? You think that your goal of restoring Sanhedrin and filtering out who are real rabbis and who are not real rabbis. He said, you're now essentially asking to wage war against hundreds and hundreds of rabbis across the Jewish globe. He said, most prominently in the cities of Europe, who don't deserve their title of rabbi, and you're coming to take away their parnasah, and you think that they're going to leave quietly? He said, do you think you're going to get all these rabbis to leave their pulpits quietly? Do you think that now in the early 1900s the Jewish community has strength to wage war against the vast majorities of rabbis who are occupying rabbinic positions across the globe? So let's ignore for a moment the rabbis I just mentioned to you. He said that those rabbis who they use their rabbinic position as a means of parnasah. They couldn't be used car salesmen because they didn't teach them secular studies in high school. So instead of being used car salesmen, I don't know, they become mizuzot salesmen or whatever other thing. But a Knesset salesman, that's what they do. Let's go look at the enlightened communities of Europe in this generation. Do you think that the European Jewish communities are so eager? to replace their uh, enlightened rabbis with our rabbis? Those Jews that show up to Bet Knesset one day on Rosh Hashanah or two day, uh, one day on Yom Kippurim or two days on Rosh Hashanah, they love their rabbis. Because these rabbis don't know halacha, everything is okay with these rabbis. They love these rabbis. Do you think that the communities are looking to replace their rabbis? 
who are now going to come chasing after them, that this rabbi is going to start telling them to observe halacha, and you see that they're going to forfeit all of the joy of freedom that they have with their current rabbi for the servitude of Torah that you want to replace with. He said, this matter of the Semicha is going to bring tremendous controversy to us. Not only with the rabbis, the rabbis' communities will actually stand up for rabbis in the first time in history. Because they don't want you to replace their rabbis, their puppet rabbis, with real rabbis. I once went to a Bera Knesset. They asked me to come be a scholar in residence. I knew this type of Bera Knesset, very wealthy Bera Knesset. They wanted to pay me a significant amount of money to be there. I knew that they were also looking for a rabbi for the kila. I told them that I don't take money for Shabbat. Whatever it costs me to travel, I, of course, I'm not going to lose money to go speak in your Bidakhanaset. But aside from that, I'm not asking for a penny. But Hashem, it was a place that I could drive to. It wasn't. It was far, but not too far. I didn't have to take any money from them. I came to the Bidakhanaset, and they booked me for a whole Shabbat. So I'm doing a whole Shabbat for free. Not a penny. I get up to give a derasha Friday night. Afterwards, the president goes, how could you say these things? Don't you dare speak about that again tomorrow. Fine. The next morning, I gave a derasha, and uh, the one from the brotherhood came in with it. How, who let you speak about this? Why are you telling people about that? Again, Minchai shared some halakhot, uh, some lady and the ladies in the language she came to scream me afterwards. Motzei Shabbat, they offered me a contract to be a rabbi there. <laughs> and I told them, I told them, I said, guys, listen to me. I, I don't know which reality you live in, but I, I don't work for you. I realize very quickly what it's going to be like if I work for you. All you want is a rabbi who gives a nice darashot. We'll teach a class in parashat Shavuah. Somebody who's going to make people feel good when their relatives die. Somebody who's going to know how to teach their children, their sons, their daughters, their dogs for a bar mitzvah. And you don't want to hear anything about the Torah. So that's great. I'm sure there are many rabbis who are looking for this job. I'm not looking for this job. I don't want to live a life like that. And at this point in time, that kind of community will have your back. If you become their puppet, they'll protect you to the end of time. Communities don't like rabbis who stand up for things that are correct. And I'm asking you, the great Kohen. Tell me, my dear friend. What is the weapon? Where is your arsenal? Which weapons did you prepare for the war you're about to walk into? And who are the warriors that you hired, the mercenaries that you hired to stand with you in the battlefield to fight the whole Jewish world? Says and this is what I meant to tell you. The opposition of Rabbi Levi ben Khabib to Mari Berav last week about founding a Sanhedrin in Tzfat versus Yerushalayim, those came from a place of genuine religious concern, messianic fervor, the feeling of whether Jerusalem should be the capital, whether we're understanding the Rambam correctly. He said, in this generation, you're going to have the exact opposite problem. Nobody cares about our religion. Nobody cares about Moshe Rabbeinu said. Nobody cares what the Rambam actually meant. Nobody cares about these things at all. The barrier of a Jewish people who don't care for a Sanhedrin, who don't want your Sanhedrin, is that lack of Yerat Shamayim, that deficiency of Yerat Shamayim is what's going to get in your way even more. 
I know that I'm at two, uh, at, uh, I don't know actually what time, I know that I'm at 25 right now and some people have a bedtime, they have to run off to. Uh, if you'll let me finish reading this just so that I can have the whole uh, letter read to you and translated for you, then I will end my class as soon as I'm done this letter and I'll take questions for elaboration afterwards. But for those who have to go early, I completely understand if you step out, the recording will be made available as soon as I have it. Please leave this matter for a moment. Let's avoid these new rabbis in their enlightened communities. Let's turn our faces now to the authentic rabbis of yesterday. That we're so proud of them. May their names last forever. Do you think that the rabbis of the old generation, the real rabbis, do you think that they will accept the matter of a Sanhedrin warmly? Don't think for one moment that these rabbis, the true rabbis, that they don't love the idea in its theoretical sense. And they'll scream, their souls will be like coals on fire, screaming out, when, when will this matter finally happen? And they will, in, in a moment, jump behind you for this idea of convening a Sanhedrin. But our rabbis, they are much quicker to see this beautiful sanctuary already built. But they are unable to be the builders of this new sanctuary. For all kinds of reasons. The old guard will be able to be at your building. They'll be there for the ribbon cutting ceremony. But the crusaders to fight this fight, they won't be. For a few reasons. The problem with righteous rabbis. Anavim veisharim, who are humble and straightforward. They don't want to be at the leadership of the Jewish people. Great leaders, they're humble. And the problem is with people that are too humble, is they don't want to stand at the head of a Sanhedrin. Because in their own eyes, they're not good enough to be on the Sanhedrin. How much more so they won't consider themselves worthy of ordaining other members of the Sanhedrin? And if you think that for a moment, let's say, let's say that they'll accept, and they'll accept their place on the Sanhedrin. The reason why they will not want to ordain a next generation of Sanhedrin? Because they're afraid. Who are they afraid of? Who is the old guard afraid of? from the little foxes, those little foxes who jump into the head because they want their semicha also. And all of those rabbis who will not want to give semicha, and this is again a play on words from the Torah, before we sacrifice an animal in the temple, you have to lean on their head. So all of these rabbis who won't want to lean on the heads of the cows, meaning these rabbis who are intelligent like cows, so they, they don't want to give semicha to this new generation of rabbi. The young generation will come after the old guard with wars. And nobody knows what will be the end of it. Said how much more so in the countries like Europe, for example, where there are a tremendous amount of Mosrim. There are Jews that will sell out rabbis to the government. I'm not talking here about child molesters, and uh, I'm talking here in a situation of rabbis 
who were put into prison because of other people who did it, who wanted their jobs, other people who wanted to take the money of the community. You're talking about governments who don't care about justice. And these rabbis, they don't want the honey and they don't want the stinger either. These are the reasons that in my small mind, it's very difficult to fathom that we'll be able to get the idea of smicha off the ground. Because the, this idea of smicha has been asleep, it's been slumbering for many generations. And I don't believe that our generation is the one which will merit the smicha. This is my opinion, Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen. And I will never tell you to accept my opinion. That's a beautiful way to share an opinion. This is my opinion, but I will never ask you to accept my opinion. Meaning, it has to be your opinion. You have your, I'm sharing with you honestly. You share my, I'm sharing back with you. But you don't have to accept my opinion. And this is something very special. My wife taught me a long time ago. That when you ask somebody a question, and you ask them a question and or let's say, you get asked the question. Someone says, Rabbi, can you do this for me? She says, if you don't have the freedom to say no, you're not really being asked the question. You're being demanded something from. If you can say yes and no, and the same reaction, okay, I appreciate Rabbi that you said no, thank you very much. If you're unable to say no, I mean, you have, don't have the right to disagree, then you're not really in a conversation in the first place. And I just avoid such scenarios. Avoid dealing with people that will tell you, this is my opinion, you have to accept my opinion. Ulam, and the last paragraph of this letter. Khalil Noesh. By the way, you know, Rabbi Rafael Omid Shimon is mentioning about a just government. There was an episode in Egypt in which one of the newspapers, a local Arabic newspaper, was writing anti-Semitic things. And Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen was, uh, uh, there's a word for this, one second. Uh, was lobbying different newspapers to say, stop writing anti-Semitic things. At this time was also the rise of political Zionism. Stop writing anti-Zionistic things in newspapers. And most of the Arabic newspapers backed off because of the pressure, except for one of them. One of them which was owned by the princess of Alexandria. And Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen sent a letter. I think that's who. He sent a letter to the princess of Alexandria saying, you know that your editor is not listening. He's still writing anti-Semitic things. She ultimately fires this editor and writes a letter to Rabbi Aaron Mendel Akron and says, I fired this editor because how dare it happen that somebody uses my newspaper to attack a nation which is so precious to me, a Jewish nation which is so precious to me. And in that way, he stopped the anti-Semitic uh, articles being printed in that newspaper. Says Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon, it is un- incorrect of me to say that such an idea can never happen. unable to pull this feet off? I could never tell you that the Sanhedrin will never happen. Just the very existence of our nation, the fact that our faith has persevered until today, for 2,000 years, he said, other nations that haven't experienced a third, a quarter of what we've experienced, 
they already were wiped off the face of the earth. Just the fact that our people are still here. The we, the Jewish people, are still alive. We're still here. And we're stronger than ever before. And we should continue this way forever. He says, my dear friend, is our existence within the realm of nature? Is it natural that we're still here? So I can't tell you that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is incapable of the supernatural. The very existence of the Jewish people is supernatural. Lo, lo, it's never. The hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done this. Who has done tremendous things for his people. Top of the next page. And every day we have a hope in our heart. We have a hope in our heart to be redeemed from this exile. And we have a divine promise that the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Egypt, He will take us out of Egypt once again. And this is very important because where is Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon writing this letter? In Egypt. To one of his Chachamim in Egypt. And therefore, all of our existence, past, present, and future, it's our existence is one of the wonders of a Kadosh Baruch creations. And our God is the God of wonders. Could a Kadosh be unable to execute a Sanhedrin? All you need for a Sanhedrin is for people to agree with each other. That's all you need. You think HaKadosh Baruch Hu is un- incapable of performing the miracle of causing people to agree with each other? And therefore, I leave you with a prayer. I pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Who wants for the goodness of his people. I pray that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be beside you, my dear friend, in this matter. This pure and holy matter. And I pray that all of the rabbis in the world heed your call and they accept your desire, your goal. Until they're able to properly execute this matter. And if they do it properly, your Sanhedrin will never fall apart. And I bless you, my dear friend, Rabbi Aaron Mendel Kohen, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does this miracle for you and that your great name will not ever be able to be erased from the future generations of the Jewish people. Until finally, and maybe he's even blessing him, until finally a Kohen Gadol will stand again in our Bede Mikdash. He says, He says, I love you and I respect you deeply. I'm coming here, signing in Egypt. The year 1910, 1911 from the creation of the world. That's not actually the number. The young one. This letter is bittersweet. Because ultimately I don't know what happened to Rabbi Aaron Mendel HaKohen's idea. I don't know why it never took off the ground. He had 500 people with him. But it could be that he listened to Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon. It could be that he understood that his generation wasn't ready for it. And if Rabbi Rafael Aaron Ben Shimon's assessments are correct, that these problems, the problems of leadership which is incapable, the problems of new rabbis that don't know how to lead the Jewish people properly, 
the matter of communities that don't care to lurk for the truth, they look for what's easy. The problems of an old guard being too humble, that's a problem of an old guard being too humble. The fear to get involved, the rabbinic violence, the bullying that rabbis are afraid that will happen to them if they even approach such an idea. All of these things are real problems still today. And if Rabbi Rafael Shimon told his colleague that the previous generation could not pull off the Sanhedrin because they had an abundance of Yirat Shamayim, and that our generation will be unable to pull off a Sanhedrin because of a deficiency of Yirat Shamayim, I have no idea why on earth our generation what, we don't, where do we even fall between the abundance of Yirat Shamayim to the deficiency of Yirat Shamayim? All I can say is that we've probably set the record straight for deficiency of Yirat Shamayim. And chas shalom, I'm not hating on the Jewish people. But the matter of the Sanhedrin is something that has to be done correctly. And in order for it to be done correctly, there are things that have to happen. Many, many things that have to happen. And some of our Chachamim believe, and very much so, that this Geulah, the redemption that we're hoping for, will be unable to happen unless we have a Sanhedrin. Next week, we'll do one last piece on the Sanhedrin of a dear, dear Tamil Chacham, someone that I respect tremendously, he passed away of the previous generation. His name was Rabbi Yehuda Leib Maimon Fishman HaKohen. Also HaKohen, very interestingly enough. Rabbi Fishman was a student of the Arucha Shulchan, Rabbi Chil Michal Halevi Epstein. He also tried to reconvene the Sanhedrin in the early years of the State of Israel. He was, if you've ever seen the picture of David Ben-Gurion signing the Israel's Declaration of Independence, there's a rabbi sitting right next to him. That rabbi, he is Rabbi Yehuda Leib Maimona Kohen. His goal, his dream is the founder of the State of Israel. Literally the founder of the State of Israel was the next step should be to found the Sanhedrin. Because next week, we're going to read a little bit of his heartbroken writings about his attempts, the rabbinic establishment's shunment, the uh, denial of his attempts to try to found the Sanhedrin. The religious community and the non-religious community ganged up together on him. Those didn't want a theocracy. These didn't want to lose their monopoly on the Jewish community. And ultimately, the idea of his Sanhedrin was squashed. And Bezad Hashem, that will be our show next week. For now, I wish everybody a Shavua Tov, Eliyahu Navi Tov. If I don't see you before Purim, I'm wishing you all a Chag Sameach, a happy Purim, which would be only B'Simcha. Le'Yehudim Hayta Ora B'Simcha B'Sason V'Kal Ken Tilan, which would be for us, for our families, and for all those who are with us. B'Zad Hashem